Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Martha Rosenstein. On today's show, my guest is Mike Branham. Mike is a financial planner with a passion for the outdoors. We talk about how you can fund your outdoor adventures and save for your future, why it's important to find balance between these things, as well as some ideas for maximizing your dollars when it comes to the gear and gadgets you need or think you need for your outdoor hobbies. Also, just a quick note that while Mike is an expert in the area of financial planning, our discussion is meant to be informational only and not to be considered professional advice. Keep listening for more on Outdoor Explorer. This is Outdoor Explorer, and I'm your host, Martha Rosenstein. Today, my guest is Mike Branham. Mike is a financial planner here in Anchorage who has been splitting his time between Anchorage and Minneapolis, Minnesota for many years, but recently made the move to Anchorage full-time. Now, it might seem odd to be talking to a financial planner on Outdoor Explorer. What does financial planning have to do with the outdoors? But as it turns out, there's quite a lot, actually. Experiencing the outdoors can be done with very little financial investment, but depending on what you'd like to do in the outdoors, it can often require a significant investment of finances and time. So Mike and I are going to talk about all of this today. Welcome to Outdoor Explorer, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. I appreciate the uh, the invite. Yeah. So first, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up spending six years <laughs> splitting your time between Anchorage and Minneapolis and what drew you up here to Alaska in the first place? Yeah, it, so if the if the overlying theme or the pervasive theme today is balance, this is a pretty good example of that. So I actually first came to Alaska in 1992 as a college freshman, and I went to the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. And I was here for a couple of years, and then I went and, and went to school in Minnesota to finish up. Um, but about 10 years ago, I was working in a professional capacity and leadership for the Financial Planning Association, and I was working with... Um, a friend and a mentor and somebody who happened to uh, uh, have founded the firm I work for now, and his name is Marty Kurtz. And um, so Marty and I grew really close. And so he knew of my affinity for Alaska and my experiences here and that I had friends here and that I came back whenever I could. Um, In about 2014, 2015, he began talking to a planner here who she had done a great job of, of building an independent planning firm here. She had accumulated or or cultivated an incredible list of clients who were great to work with. And she herself wanted to retire and she was looking for somebody to come in and take over for her. Um, Marty, I I hadn't worked with Marty before, but they recruited me to come in and facilitate that merger. And the one thing that I said is, and this is where the balance comes in. You know, I have, I had two teenage kids at at that time that were in high school And while the goal and the plan was to be here full time all along, what I told both Nancy, who was selling a firm and Marty, whose firm was buying the firm as they were recruiting me, um, I would not move full time until my kids were allowed to finish high school where they started. I think it's tough on kids if you have the option to take them at that age in their lives and move them where they have to start all over. So I made the conscious decision to be the one that traveled back and forth and they could have some stability. In about 2020, my youngest son graduated in the midst of COVID, and so that delayed things a little bit longer, but the the goal was, or the plan was, to always move here full-time once our youngest son had graduated high school and started off to college. So here you are, full-time. Your kids are off to college. Yep, yep. Bought a house uh, in April in the midst of a crazy market, and 
uh, got permission from the Canadian government to drive through Canada in June with all of our stuff and, and move into our house. And uh, while I'm, we're not necessarily new to Alaska, we're new permanently to Alaska and we've been enjoying the summer so far. So yeah. house guest season, as I guess y'all would call it. Yeah. Full effect. We also, I have a friend who also calls it manic season because endless daylight and activities and things and you feel like you have to get everything done before about this time of year when things start getting darker and we're on that downward slide. I, I think we're feeling that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite outdoor activities? We like to do just about anything outdoors. Some things we're better at than others. Having lived in Minnesota most of my life in Alaska when I didn't live there, um, a lot of canoeing, a lot of camping. I've fished my entire life. Uh, my wife and I have been doing a lot of hiking since we moved up. Like almost every day we've gone for a walk or a hike. So that's been really exciting and, and outstanding. Um, I've got a group of friends here that I go hunting with and have for many years. So we're headed into moose camp here in a week or so. Um, and then, you know, regular outdoor travel. We do some cross-country skiing in the winter. We're not particularly good at it. I'd call us novices, but we, we've done enough of it to be functional. And so we enjoy that in the winter. So we're excited for that. So I think we both feel it our best when we're outside. Yeah. And what a place, what a place to live to do that. Minnesota as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we don't, we don't have the mountains in Minnesota, but, uh, but we still have some opportunities and we're really excited for what Alaska is going to afford. You just mentioned something that I've talked with other um, Outdoor Explorer guests about, which is being a beginner at something or not being very good at something or feeling like you're not very good at something, but doing it anyway. Um, I think that's a really important, we can't be good at everything that we do. Um, so I think it's really important to find the things that you like and not necessarily give a lot of weight to your skill level if you can still have fun doing them. Yeah, yeah. You do it at your level, right? Like I've been to Kincaid skiing when I've been back and forth in the winters. And it's pretty incredible to see some of these people, you know, cross country skiing through some of the trails at Kincaid or up near service. And I just poke along at my own pace and fall on some of the hills, but get up, brush off and enjoy it. So yeah, you just got to go out and it, you, you don't, you don't learn or get better by, by watching other people do it or not trying it on your own. So exactly. that's kind of our philosophy on it. Exactly. So one of the things that I hear most often from people related to being able to do the things that they want to do, whether it be travel or spend time outdoors, is that they don't have enough time and a lot of what they want to do costs money. And in order to have money, you need a job and a job takes up time. So working more to make more money, to have more money seems like a poor strategy if you're looking to find more time to spend adventuring in the outdoors. How can people maximize the financial resources that they have already without taking up more time working in order to, to fund their outdoor adventures? Before I kind of get into specifics on that, I think there's two things I want to start with. The first is the importance of recreation, of whether it's outdoor pursuits or travel or for foodies, food or whatever your pursuit, whatever your hobby is or your love is, your passion is. Uh, it's incredibly important for human well-being to have those things that we can refresh and recharge with, and we're not a, we're not focusing our entire lives on on work. Our identity isn't our job. And there's study after study. We won't go through the particulars. You guys could go out there and Google, you know, human wellness or well-being, and find all the human behavioral studies that that you can read. Um, but, but it is incredibly important. And then the second thing is what you're really referring to, I believe, is balance. 
Like we all know that we have to have some kind of a job to earn money and we all work in different capacities with different income and different means. Um, but we all have to have that, as we've just stated, we all have to have that other side to us as well, where we have some enjoyment in our lives. And so how do you find, given, in, given finite resources and time, how do you find that balance between the two? And the reality is it's going to be a little bit different for each individual person, but there are a few major things I think everybody can do. And, and the very first thing is um, to, to have a real honest, either through self-reflection or external conversation, uh, really figure out what your values and purpose are. What are the things that you really value most in life? Is it time with family? Is it individual autonomy? Is it, you know, whatever those things might be, having a good sense of self, having a good sense of what drives you and what your purpose is will help answer a lot of these questions about balance when we really get down to it. But one of the things that we often, an analogy we often use with clients is I ask them if they like to put together puzzles. And most people either have or do like to put together puzzles. And so we say, well, what's the first thing you do when you're putting together a puzzle? So Martha, how would you answer that question? What's the first thing you do when you're putting together a puzzle? Um, I probably find all the edge pieces, separate that out the edge problem. pieces. That's the most common answer. I lay out the edge pieces or I find the corners or I lay all the pieces face up. And the reality is the very first thing you do when you when you put together a puzzle is you look at the picture on the front of the box. Mm. Because without that context, without knowing what it is you're trying to accomplish, it's really, really difficult to come to a final resolution or, or get to where you want to be. And so with that in mind, that's really the, the reason that we have with clients and why individuals themselves can have those purpose and value com or thoughts or conversations to really figure out what it is they're planning for or trying to achieve. Now, once you've done that, and you can dare to dream in that conversation, like if I had infinite resources, this is what I do. And then step two is to winnow that down and have some realistic expectations and set some short-term goals that'll start you down that path, right? So we all know that we can't all just go out and write a check for all the toys we want to buy. It's, it's an it's an unlimited amount of things that we all want to enjoy the Alaska outdoors or whatever it is you want to do. And most of us can't afford everything we want. So set some realistic expectations based on current resources. Um, choose a lifestyle that, that, that is within those means. That's a really, really important part of this. The moment you start to extend beyond that realistic lifestyle, you start to really limit your ability to reach those goals down the road. And so, and we'll talk about that more as we go along. Um, good planning and forethought both of the resources you have and the work choices you make. So one of the things that I've done in the past in pursuit of both outdoor activities and leisure is when it's been time for my regular review at work and they've had the opportunity to give me a raise or not, one of the things that I've asked for is more vacation time in lieu of more pay. And that, not everybody has that ability. You know, a lot of people work for the state, they get great vacation time, their PTO time is really, really good. For those that work in the private sector, if you have the opportunity to find a balance between additional pay and more vacation time, you know, you might give yourself the opportunity to get out and do more, even with, you know, not all the financial resources that, uh, that, you, that you may want or need sometimes. 
one thing that I find really interesting also is that a lot of people don't take all of their vacation time. You know, they, they save it and they save it and they work and they work and they work and they don't use it, which is not great because everybody needs you working forever is not great. You know, leisure time is important to your health. Um, it's important for stress relief and all of, all of those things. But I think also making a conscious effort to actually use your vacation time that you do have is important. I think that's a great point, a really, really good point. And I think, you know, I work with a lot of, of couples where one or both work for the state or federal government and almost to a person, they have unallocated or unused PTO time at the end, sometimes significant unused PTO time. Um, now, some of that is, is to the real generous nature of both the state and federal government and what they give for PTO. And some of that is people just haven't have chosen not to take what's allotted to them over the years. There are some advantages to having a big PTO balance at the end of your career, but the reality is, you know, taking that time and using it, even if it's in short bursts or a staycation or, you know, getting out in Anchorage rather than feeling you have to travel outside, you know, to the, to the out, outstate portions of Alaska, um, using more of that time can be really effective and, and really refreshing and recharging, quite frankly. Um, I think for some, one really important message is going to be that skills can outweigh gear in many, many instances. And so learning skills, investing the time to learn outdoor skills um, can really help to defray the cost of what gear you would otherwise have to buy. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen that there's, there's a whole bushcraft movement that's really kind of, if you, if you pay attention, it's really kind of growing out there shows like alone, you've seen the participants get more and more skilled at what they do from season one to season eight, which just ended. And a lot of those folks have invested a lot of time and energy in learning outdoor skills. Now I'm not suggesting everybody has to drop themselves in a remote place and learn to live on your own for 71 days. But I am saying that there are a lot of skills that you can learn when it comes to outdoor pursuits, um, whether it's you know how to make a fire or navigation or whatever the case may be, where it then alleviates the need to buy gadgets or gear that might otherwise burden or, or, or stress your, your uh, recreation budget. So learn and invest in those skills and learn and invest in relationships. Find like-minded people, join hiking groups, join, you know, get a hunting party together, find people who, who all have varied um, things that they can offer to the group. So not everybody has to have one of everything. Uh, those relationships can often really foster and facilitate getting outside and doing more than if you were just trying to do it yourself. And, and being new to, to Alaska permanently anyway, you know, I, I follow various groups on social media that are hiking or fishing related, and it's amazing how willing, how willing most people in those groups are with sharing both hikes and gear or saying, hey, I'm going to these places to hike. Would you, you know, is anybody interested in going? So, you know, invest in, in those relationships as well. And then I think finally, based on the first question about, about balance is, can you monetize your passion and pursuits? You know, my generation growing up, we didn't have, I'm going to sound like that old codger now that worked, that walked uphill both ways to school. But in my generation, without that social media influence, we couldn't get on Instagram or TikTok and monetize some of the things that we did. And it's amazing how many smart, young, 
adults are out there right now as travel bloggers or outdoors people. Alaska has a host of them alone. I think, you know, I think I follow some of them on social media that are able to monetize either the work, the travel or the experiences they do or become a brand ambassador for some of the gear and be able to use, utilize that to get some gear for free and then highlight that in their posts. I have a, a, an acquaintance and friend in the, in the lower 48 who is a travel blogger and he's got a relationship with GoPro. And so as long as he tags GoPro and makes videos with GoPro and all of his trips, you know, he gets free gear from both GoPro. And so it's a, it's a matter of really looking to find those relationships and see not everybody's going to be able to do that. And not every company is willing to give everybody brand ambassadorship. But if it's something you're serious about and really look into, you might be able to monetize some of what it is you're doing out there. And I think also having realistic expectations in that manner too, right? Where not everybody is going to be able to have a full-time income from some of this stuff, but maybe you can pay for your passion by doing your passion and monetizing that, or you can get free gear or deeply discounted gear because of those things. So finding a way to make the balance between the two, you you know, um, I think, I do think that's important too, because I think people think, oh, I'll just, you know, I'm going to work for myself and make a bunch of money on social media. And that's not always realistic to think about replacing a full-time income with that, especially not right away. No, I would not point people in that direction yeah. as the all end all. I think there's a spectrum or a continuum there. And you've got yeah. on one side, you've got people that can monetize this as a career. You know, I think about there's a there's a YouTube channel called Expedition Overland, and they do a lot of trips. Um, they they were recent, they literally just left Alaska. They just spent mm-hmm. three weeks here and now come out, I think, in December, because I ran into those guys in uh in hatcher pass but they've been able to monetize this as a dream as their full-time job but then there's the other end of the spectrum where maybe you can get columbia or gopro or maybe you can get somebody to share some gear with you with the promise that you will highlight or feature it in whatever pursuits that you have depending on what your passion is and so you don't need to not everybody can be you know, the person that makes their living and, and makes six figures doing social media, but there are opportunities out there to, to maybe supplement what you do outdoors with, with that type of opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us who have big ideas about the trips that we want to take with, and, and then struggle with saving money for those bigger trips and also for taking smaller trips or doing things close to home, again, finding that balance. Um, then you add in thinking about retirement or your financial future or trips you want to take when you're retired. So having enough money for those things. And I feel like the, you know, things start to feel complicated and overwhelming at a, you know, sending kids to college that, that makes things feel even more complicated and overwhelming. Going back to that balance piece, how can we find the balance between doing those things now closer to home, saving for bigger, more expensive trips, saving money for retirement, saving money for kids college. How do we put that puzzle together? You know, I'd be a, I'd be a terrible financial planner if I didn't say there are some things you really need to take care of first before we start launching into all these outdoor pursuits. And and that's just the base human need. So, um, you know, there's, one of the things I would say is take the free money first. And by that, I mean, whether you work in the private sector and have a match in your 401k, 
or whether you work in the public sector and you're compelled to like in in the state of Alaska, you you don't have a choice whether or not you're going to make your SBS contribution and the state matches that. And so between that and your pension, depending on which tier you are, you have a pretty good jump start towards retirement. It may and probably isn't enough. So you should definitely work on what additional is needed, but at least you're not ignoring that facet of, of your future. The second thing I think is really important is that people cover the emergencies. So have that emergency set of cash that you're building over time or that you've built and set aside for when things happen. And we all know what those things are, whether it's a, you know, a fender bender where you have a bigger bill to fix your car than you thought, or a new roof on the house, or somebody needs a medical procedure that you don't want to pay for. Those types of things can bust a, a monthly budget in a hurry if they just pop up and surprise you. So you have to have that emergency cash. And quite frankly, I think the the pandemic has really highlighted the need for this and probably extended the range um, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is three to six months of, of your expenses in cash as an emergency fund. And I think you could even, if you've got the opportunity, build that to six to 12 just in case. Um, and then we start talking with clients about let's prioritize your goals and build your cash flow around those goals. Right. So goals can be short, mid or long term. They can be retirement related or recreation related. Um, we, we have a program that we use, but you don't need that to get this done. You just list out your goals and, and try to prioritize them and say, all right, here's my cash flow. Let's look at my expenses. And to some degree, let's pay myself first. Let's put a little money every month away to each of these. We even have clients, and, and we suggest this quite often, open savings accounts for each of your major goals. So if outdoor pursuits is a big thing for you, and if travel is a big thing for you, and they're somewhat separate, have a savings account for each and put a little bit of money into each every month. And that way, when it comes time to pay for that trip, you've got some money set aside and you're not using your monthly cash flow and detracting from or taking away from your regular goals. So that prioritization and cash flow utilization is really, really important for people. Um, you can find the easy wins. So, you know, you might have a gear savings account or an outdoor savings account that you know you need to replace your raincoat. And so you're going to save a little bit every month and you want to buy, you know, want to go to Kuyu or you want to go to, you know, you want to buy stick of your raincoat and it's $350. And, you know, maybe that's not something you want to just take out of one month. So you just put a little bit of money away every month towards building that balance. And then when it comes time to buy gear or pay for trips, you've got money set aside for that. That really is generated from, there used to be, boy, this is well before either of our time, but there used to be what people called Christmas accounts. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, in the 20th century, which is funny to say, because I was born in the 20th century, but, you know, pre even, even my, my parents probably did this for my grandparents. They'd have a little envelope in the kitchen that every month or every time they had a little extra cash, they'd put it in that envelope and that was their Christmas account. And so when December came along and it came time to buy presents for the kids, you know, they had money set aside. And it's really that theory that if you just put little drips and drabs away on a regular basis, it adds up pretty quickly. There are apps now that allow you to do this. You know, there's, uh, now I'm blanking on all of the app names, but there are literally apps that will take, that'll round up your purchases to the nearest dollar and put that away. Um, I'm not going to give people free advertising, but you guys can do, yeah. 
do that research. And I, and I think one that I've tried and checked out that I will mention is Acorns. That was right? the one that came to my mind. I think I used that for a while just because I was curious how it worked. And it, yeah. it works surprisingly well. Yeah, you, you accumulate money pretty rapidly in something like that, where when you spend a dollar fifty and it rounds it up to two, that fifty cents. Now there are banks and credit card. There, it, it's not just Acorns. You can find that type of approach anywhere, or you can consciously say every time a paycheck comes in, before anything else happens, this money is going to shoot out to these accounts, so that I start to build that balance, and then this is what I'm going to have to spend. So. When we work with clients, we think of expenses in three ways. We think of static expenses, which is your monthly bills. And that should be, that's those are things that you have to make a monthly payment on every month. And I would say that should be 30 to 35% of your overall monthly income. And then you've got control expenses, which are your lifestyle expenses, things like, you know, eating out versus groceries, gym membership, all of the things that maybe aren't a monthly bill or that you have a little bit more decision-making power over whether to spend that money or not. And that should be another 30, 35%. And then you've got your, um, you've got your dynamic expenses, which are your goals. It's travel, emergency reserves, retirement, education, um, whatever it might be, that can make up 20 to 30% of your overall spending as well. And you should identify and delineate what goes where in any given month so that you start to build those balances over time. What about, um, we've kind of touched on this, but what about funding, just kind of funding your general outdoor life? So not necessarily specifically going on trips, but doing things outside close to home. And, and I said, as I said, we've kind of touched on this. So like biking, paddleboarding, kayaking, hiking, camping, skiing, all of those things cost money. And oftentimes there's a significant expense involved. Skis aren't cheap you know, bikes aren't cheap. Um, how do we prioritize spending and saving for those things when you don't necessarily have a lot of extra cash sitting around to spend on gear? I think like, again, it comes down to priorities and planning, but you know, how would you, how would you suggest working that in, into this overall picture? So from the affordability side, I still think, you know, developing an account and sending money there on a regular basis with every paycheck is the way to build the pool of money that you'll have to spend. Now, on the on the other side of things, it's okay, well, now I have this pool of money and I have to buy a stand up paddleboard or I have to buy a bike or I have to buy whatever the case may be. And and so that's where, you know, in, in, in Alaskans have a little bit of an advantage compared to everywhere else in that once a year you get a check from the state that is based on oil revenue and everybody knows what I'm talking about, the permanent fund dividend. And, and that is a huge potential for using in these outdoor, these gear funds. People use it for that. I'm not, I'm not creating a new phenomenon here. This has happened for right. years and years and years ever since I started coming up here. But that is one way for you to say, hey, every year I'm going to get my PFD and I'm going to put it in these, you know, in my recreation fund and I'm going to use it for whatever I need. So one of the things that I do and that, and that I think works for people is I build a gear list throughout the year. Um, you can do it on REI, you can do it on Cabela's, you can do it on just about any website. They call it wish list. And you just start adding things when you see it or things you think you need or want, whether it's because you don't have it already or you're upgrading the gear that you already have. And then as you, you know, as you go on these trips or as you need these things, or as you build that pool of money, you can start buying and checking those things off your list. 
The other thing that you can do with those lists, it's a really easy, has anybody ever asked you like your parents or friends or anybody, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? Yep. How hard is it to think of what you want or need in those scenarios? If you build that little wish list throughout the year, you've got an easy thing that you can share with somebody and say, look, I'm not, I know some of these are probably outside of the, the realm of what you would buy, but these are the types of things that I'm looking for. And if you have the opportunity to, you know, to, to check any of these off, that would be great. And so I tend to do that on a, on a regular basis is build these lists and then share them at the appropriate times. And people can choose to buy anything off that or not, but at least I've given them ideas without having to give it too much immediate thought. <clears throat> the other thing that I think, you know, when we talk about gear is it's, it's really about discipline right? It's really about putting the money away, living within your means and giving yourself the opportunity to buy these things. Um, I've worked with a lot of teachers over the years, and I've worked with a lot of millionaire teachers. And I think we all know that teaching is not a profession like law or finance or medicine, or you're going to strike it rich because your pay is unbelievable. I think most people would say teachers need to get paid more. Yeah. And yet yeah. for some reason, a lot of teachers have that discipline and ability to live within their means and accumulate money. And I use that as an example only because I think that's more relatable to the everyday person than to say, hey, you know, lawyers can buy this stuff. Why can't you? Or financial planners can buy this stuff. Why can't you? Um, I, I think people can relate to the teaching profession maybe is closer to their income or means level than than some others that that maybe I work with on a regular basis. Um, and so I think that's just a good reminder that if you've got the discipline and you've got the plan in place, you can do just about anything you want. And, and I'll say this, most people can do some things they want. Some people can do anything they want, but very few people can do everything they want. So it's all a matter of perspective um, and, and having the discipline to put money. It's a reason Warren Buffett's lived in the same house for his entire life because, you know, he could live anywhere he wanted, but he just always has that almost frugal mentality of live within a certain means and the rest will take care of itself. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Martha Rosenstein. On today's show, my guest is Mike Branham. Mike is a financial planner with a passion for the outdoors. We talk about how you can fund your outdoor adventures and save for your future, why it's important to find balance between these things, as well as some ideas for maximizing your dollars when it comes to the gear and gadgets you need or think you need for your outdoor hobbies. Also, just a quick note that while Mike is an expert in the area of financial planning, our discussion is meant to be informational only and not to be considered professional advice. 
And I think something that you mentioned earlier was about investing in skills. And while you definitely need, like in order to invest in skills on a bike, you need a bike, but you don't need the best bike. You know, you could buy a used bike. You could buy a bike, borrow a bike from a friend, rent a bike. You can, you can, there's a way to invest in the skills without necessarily having the best or the newest or the fanciest gear, which I think is also important. I think sometimes we buy the best or the fanciest gear for other people, not for ourselves. Agreed. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I'm impressed with, sometimes I have to stop myself from, from thinking too much about it. You know, just go anywhere in Alaska and see what people are doing and using to get the job done. The Alaskans are incredibly resourceful and can make just about anything work. And a lot of that is just their drive and independence and stick to and the skills that they have. I couldn't, you know, I can't, I have no mechanical inclination, couldn't fix a thing. But if I were really in, if I were really motivated, I could learn how I, I own a, a six by six ranger and we use that moose hunting. I, I can fix some things on it, but not a lot. I just brought it back from the shop. I was willing to pay somebody with the skills and ability to do that so that they can make a living too. But I certainly had the opportunity or the potential to fix that myself. And that would have saved some, some money. It would have cost me time, but it would have saved me money. And, and so those are the types of choices that everybody gets to make. I can, I can have something like a bike and I can maintain it and fix it myself, or I can bring it to a bike shop and they'll do what they do with it. And, you know, it's, it's going to be different for everybody, but there are opportunities to get out budget consciously or less budget consciously, depending on, you know, the individual choices you make and the means that you have. And something else that I that just came to my mind when you said that Alaska people buy gear for other people, um, and the resourcefulness of Alaskans. So I I was born and raised here. My my parents came here from elsewhere, um, but they came here in the late '60s, early '70s, and they have there's there's a lot of things that that my dad has accumulated that he still has that would be useful to to take you know. A, a sleeping bag from 19, a down sleeping bag yeah. from 1970, maybe not the, not the highest quality sleeping bag, but it's still a perfectly functional sleeping bag that I could use if I didn't have a way to get a new sleeping bag. Right. So like, I don't need a new sleeping bag necessarily. Cause I have this one. So, so even reusing some of those things that are, they're now vintage and cool again, supposedly, but you know, not necessarily needing to buy new gear until you're sure that that's something that you want to do. Well, and when you do buy new gear, so we, we, you know, kind of in our pre-conversation, we talked about buying new versus used gear, starting with cheaper versus more basic options. And that's kind of the conversation we're on right now. Yeah. You know, both are viable. It's very common for people to upgrade over time. So you buy a basic sleeping bag and then over time you upgrade to a better sleeping bag and you have decision make. You can keep the basic for somewhere down the line. Or you can find somebody who's just starting out or an organization that needs these types of things and donate mm-hmm. so that you're not just, you know, consuming and tossing away, you know, whether it's Boy Scouts of America or Boys and Girls Club or whatever, there are all kinds of programs that are trying to get kids outside or that need gear, whether it's outdoors gear or sports related gear. And so finding those organizations can be useful, but also, you know, a place like Facebook Marketplace and just say, hey, I'm not looking to make a killing on this, but if anybody needs a functional sleeping bag, here it is. And that allows people that are starting themselves or just getting into it themselves to build a kit. 
to build a gear list and get outside and enjoy some of this and find out if they like it without having to spend. Cause I think we all know we could walk into Cabela's REI, you know, uh, sportsman's, whatever we want, we could spend thousands and thousands of dollars if we could buy everything we want. Um, but we don't, but not all of us have that, that luxury. And yeah. so how do we make it work with limited means or finite resources? The other thing that I think that I, that I utilize sometimes, and I would really encourage others to check out are discount gear sites like steepandcheap.com or the outlet sites at REI or mm-hmm. Kuyu or wherever it is you're going, because you can often find last year's or 2019's models or, or versions at a, at a highly reduced price, like steep and cheap. Most things are 50 to 70% off. You know, you can, I built a, a pretty good cache of, of wool performance, like merino wool tops on steep and cheap and paid, you know, cents on the dollar for what they would have been full retail, just because they're still perfectly functional. But then I can allocate the, the additional resources that I save to other things, things that are really important as part of kind of the overall gear list, depending on what you do. And then you need to ask yourself, you know, do I, do I really need gadgets? Like I'm guilty. I have them. I have an in-reach mini, um, but do I need that? Like if it, it, or, or does everybody in the group need that? Right. Do we need one or do we need six in our hunting group? So, you know, those relationships you develop and the, and what you prioritize having, there are some key pieces of gear that are worth spending a lot of money on rain gear in Alaska, a sleeping bag. If you're going to be out in the fall, maybe a good tent. And then there are others that you can probably go a little bit, you know, you can, you can probably afford to, uh, you know, spend a little bit less on just to make sure that you're able to get out and do things, but not completely allocate your entire budget to buying gear. I just did that. I just upgraded my hiking backpack, like my day hiking backpack. So I had bought, um, I started, I'm, I'm last year. I did a lot of hiking, you know, spent a lot of time outside, did a lot of hiking. I started out with, I'm mostly a runner. So I started out with my like running hydration vest. And then I was like, well, I need something that I can carry some extra layers in because it's, it was September and I was skimping on, skimping on the layers because I didn't have room in my pack, which I thought this is a good way to get stuck and die of hypothermia without having the appropriate clothing. So let's not do that. So then I bought just, I got the, it was the REI flash pack, you know, they're super lightweight. Um, I think I got it on sale during one of the sales. And that was, that's been great. It has been perfectly acceptable. Um, I used it for the, probably the last half of last year and all of this year. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, I think I want a backpack. That's a little bit bigger because I'm again, trying to like with the weather this year has been significantly more variable. So, you know, I'm now got to carry a rain layer. Sometimes it's a little windy. So I need my down vest. Like I've been accumulating a lot of extra layers again, and I wanted something that had pockets on the front. So I had a place to stash my phone and my bear spray, which is how my running vest is. So I just upgraded my backpack, but I, the point is I used the thing that was affordable to me at the time. And I decided this is, these are the things that I want and like about it. And these are the things that I would want in something new. And I was very intentional about how I purchased that because I knew exactly what I wanted. And I did get an old version that was like 70% off. So instead of spending $200 on a backpack, I spent 90 something, Yeah, which was the perfect situation. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think so. I think there's a lot of really good messages in there. One, do the research, figure out over time what it is you need and upgrade when you can. Yeah. With each upgrade, do a little bit of research and find out what are the functions and the, and the, the pieces or parts of that gear that I really need. And then shop it. My wife is really good at shopping around. I'm incredibly impatient. And for me, you know, if, if we were to do a value assessment on me, time is really important to me more than money. Yep. Like I yep. just figure whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll work harder or make more that I'm not worried about the money aspect of it so far, but time is really important to me. So spending hours researching online, I, it's just not me. So I have her help me with that kind of thing. Like we bought, I just bought a pair of boots for a sheep hunt that ended up not happening, but I now have a really nice pair of boots and she found them for significantly lower than I would. If I had, if I had shopped for them and just said, Hey, I found them, I'm going to buy them. She got a much better deal by utilizing, you know, some time and, and finding, Hey, if you sign up for this, we'll give you this much off. And then yep. we just canceled whatever that was. So anyway, there's, there are ways to really take advantage of what's, Oh, another little hack that's out there is it doesn't work for everything, but if you put something in a shopping cart, like you go to REI.com or you go to some website and you put something in a shopping cart and you walk away from it and leave it in there, inevitably within a day or two, you're going to start getting emails that say, hey, uh, we noticed that this is in your cart. Uh, act now for 20% off. And then you're like, great. I didn't do anything other than just wait a day before I hit spend. And then they gave me 20% off. So again, it doesn't work all the time, but it is something that works from time to time. It's worth a shot if you're buying, you know, bigger ticket items. There's also um, in Anchorage, there is a, the hoarding marmot is specifically used outdoor gear. So that's a good place for people to go if they're looking for used gear. Um, Cause they often have, it's, it's sometimes it's hit or miss and you kind of have to be a little bit, if you're looking for something specific, you have to be a little bit more devoted time-wise for sure. Um, but you can definitely save some significant money. And um, the other thing is I know REI, I don't know who else does. I'm sure other people do rents a lot of gear. So if you are like, I want to go camping, I don't have any camping gear. I don't even know if I like camping. You can rent an entire camping kit from REI, a tent, uh, you know, a stove, oh, everything. So yep. that's also a good way to not make a huge investment upfront, but to decide if maybe you do want to invest in things and get out there a little bit and know, you know, what the thing, what would you buy first? Would you buy a tent first or would you buy the stove first? Like, how would you, how would you prioritize those things? And it gives you a chance to try. I've rented from REI before. Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, we have the Boundary Waters, and there's mm -hmm. an outfit culture there where you can go fully outfitted, or you can rent, you know, all cart from an outfitter. And so, if you want to try out various pieces of gear, you just rent it from them, use it for a weekend, and give it back, and they'll maintain it, and then you can decide whether that's something you need. So, I think, again, I think those are really great suggestions: is to look at whether it's online or a store like the Hoarding Marmot or, you know, REI has the garage sale section in the mm -hmm. back. You know, if you're going to go to REI occasionally anyway, you might as well walk through or Cabela's has the bargain cave. You can walk through that and see what's available. If there's any, you know, piece of your wish list that's out there, um, see what's available. So there are ways to plan and buy things over time. When you have to do things immediately, that's usually when it costs you the most money. If you give yourself some time and planning, you can usually find a way to reduce your financial outlay on those things. For sure. Um, one other thing that I thought of too was that there are um, some like trade only Facebook groups for specifically yeah. for outdoor gear. So, you know, people will post something. It's, it's 
I don't know what they're called, like buy or sell nothing trade only. Um, sometimes people ask you to pay shipping only. Um, but you know, you, they post items that they have and they say like, oh, here's this pair of hiking boots that I have, or this pair of shoes that I have. If they've been used, you know, seven times, I just didn't like them. Um, I'm looking for a ball cap or a windbreaker or something like that. And so you can kind of go back and forth and trade things with these people for oftentimes only shipping costs. And kind of the lost art is I've got a friend who I don't do this. I have a friend who spends some time or invests some time in going to garage sales mm-hmm. in various places and people that are particular people that are moving or people that are kind of moving into a different phase of their life, whether that's retirement or whatever the case may be, who have accumulated gear over the years and, and it's well-maintained you can find some incredible finds at these garage sales. Some of it's a little older, but it's, but it still works. And if you're somebody who's, you know, trying to get started, trying to build a kit before you upgrade at some point, that's a great way to go out and find some of those little key pieces that you otherwise might not be able to buy without spending a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Kind of uh, tailing onto a conversation that we had we started a little bit earlier um, talking about budgeting, um, which I have personally found that to be quite helpful. And I'm sure that a lot of people groaned or rolled their eyes at the word budgeting. And I understand because I definitely used to feel the same way. But I think one of the things that surprised me about it was you, you probably have more money than you think you do. And it's, if you, once you really start like looking at where it's going and where it needs to go um, and, and kind of like you said, saving saving for three to six months of expenses, that conversation, especially in the context of what happened in 2020 is really important um, because I think the survey that was it from 2016, but it, it something like 63% of Americans can't handle an unexpected $500 bill or expense, which is pretty scary. Um, Cause how often do those come up? I feel like they come up pretty frequently. Um, yeah. So thinking more about kind of budgeting and how can people how can people balance those short term goals with continuing to save for expenses and continuing to do the things that they love? Um, like what sort of what sort of budgeting advice do you have for people there? Well, I want to preface this by saying I recognize everything's a matter of scope and scale, but the actual strategy can be the same. So whether you're yes. setting aside regularly. a paycheck or $500 a paycheck, you can still set money aside regularly to build an emergency reserve or save for these little things that you want to do. So I I don't want to assume that everybody has a high level of income because we know that not everybody does. In fact, more don't than do. Right. Um, But the strategies, the the actual tactics will work regardless. So, you know, to, to, when you talk about balance of short-term goals and things they love, doing the things they love, the one thing I would say is start your habits early, start putting aside money on a regular basis for these things early in your career or in your life or, or start immediately. If you're later in your life and you're like, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. Start now. Don't put it off. Um, the other thing is have discipline. To your point, most people have more money than they think. We all spend a lot on whether it's you know coffee. There's a million coffee kiosks here in Anchorage, and they're all great, and we all have our favorites. And then there's the big stores like Starbucks or whatever the case may be. There's restaurants. There's you know we all have cell phones. Think of what we carry around every day and what this costs. 
You know, you, that, that wasn't heard of 30 years ago. Um, we all choose to spend our money on something and we all rationalize to some degree why that's necessary. And the reality is it's only necessary if you make it necessary. So that initial conversation about what are your values and what's your purpose and what's really important to you prioritize and then to set money aside for those things before you make some of these other what we call control or, or lifestyle decisions. You know, we all have the ability to put more money away than we think most likely. Um, so start early, have some discipline, uh, keep it simple. Don't, don't create too complex a web or it's going to be really hard to stick with and utilize the cash flow and gifts and various scenarios like the, the, the PFD um, when they're available um, in order to build these funds up or to fund the things that you really want to do. And if you always start with the question, is this something that's really important to me and does it fit into my priority list? You know, your spending decisions become a little bit more easy. And look, I'm not perfect at this either. I buy stupid stuff all the time. Like you look at it and you're like, what, what was that decision about? <clears throat> it's going to happen inevitably. But to automate it and make these things a regular occurrence uh, can really help in sticking with it and building long-term success in that realm. And I think probably too, kind of going back to you, we talked specifically about this in terms of like selling used gear, but I think people would be surprised at the things that they have in their house that they maybe don't use that they could sell easily, you know, or things that they've outgrown, you know, that would, that would bring in, you know, 20, 25, four $25 items is a hundred bucks, which is not insignificant, right? So it feels like nothing. You're looking at something and you're like, oh, that's not worth very much. But if you find 10 things in your house that are worth 25 to $50 to sell, you've just put a huge chunk of money in the bank, which really starts to add up when you, when you look at it as it's like compounding interest versus, versus, you know, other interest. Like it, it really starts to add up the more you do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. And with technology now and all of the various sites available, that's even easier to do now than ever before. You don't have to wait for your once a year garage sale. You can right. post it on, you know, whatever site and people will buy it almost immediately. All you got to do is mail it off. So um, <clears throat> that's becoming easier and easier. And you used the word budgeting earlier. We, we agree that the connotation around the word budgeting is, is pretty rough. We always talk about cash flow planning or cash flow management. Um, and so when I, you probably heard me say that today on more than one occasion, it, we don't use the word budgeting because people feel like they're being cheap. The reality is we all do it. We all manage cash flow in some way, you know, automate it, set it up based on your priorities and move forward with that. And I actually learned when I started, as I called it, budgeting, that it really was just managing cash flow because it was like, why do I feel like I, why do I, where, where are all my dollars going? And it was really a cash flow issue more than anything, like really being intentional about when, when those dollars go certain places made it a whole different picture. Then it goes into my bank account and then it goes out of my bank account. Like there's so much more that happens when you really look at like when the dollars are coming out and where they're going, that makes it really eye-opening. Yeah, I think people, if they take anything away from this, it's it's purpose, priorities, and discipline is what's really going to be the answer for whatever whatever it is you're trying to fund or achieve from a goal standpoint is figure out what your purpose is, prioritize what those values and goals are, and then you know have the discipline to set money aside for those things over time. And yeah. you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish, even on, on limited resources or a limited income. Yeah. Um, 
kind of wrapping this conversation up a little bit, um, what about setting aside money to donate to organizations? Specifically, um, my thought was donating to organizations that support the outdoors because we spend time in the outdoors and it's nice to give back to all of, to, to the, the people that are taking care of all of the stuff that we're doing. Um, how does that factor in? Because that's a little bit of a different picture than saving money because you actually can, you know, it can maybe benefit you on your taxes. Um, how does, so how does putting aside money to donate sort of factor in here? So, you know, it's less and less likely these days that it will benefit you on your taxes unless you're really giving a lot of money given the, the way the deductions are working right. right now. But that being said, um, there are a number of ways that people can do that. And quite frankly, like we have people that have savings accounts or accounts dedicated to goals and priorities, one of those is charitable pursuits or beneficence. And so putting, you know, whether you, some people put money in the, in the cash or in the in the plate at the church every week some people put money in a in an account that they intend to give every week it's the same theory and you could certainly do that um there are tools now like donor advised funds so if you put some money away and make one big contribution to what's called a donor advised fund maybe you're more likely to if you you know, if you aggregate and do things in chunks, you might be more likely to actually see a tax benefit from that. But more and more people these days are using the standard deduction after it was expanded in the 2017 TCGA Act. Um, and so, you know, it's more giving because you want to give. But beyond money, I think there's really a way for people to, to, to be charitable, to give back without spending a lot of money that they might utilize. Other words, donating time whether you're volunteering with the Boy Scouts or some organization that gets kids or adults or whomever outside, that's one way to give back without having to write a check or, or spend any money. You've referenced it already, gear donation. So if you, know, if, if, if you find an organization that's trying to do that and they need some gear and you're upgrading your own kit, find a place to give some of those items that you no longer need, whether you sell it or give it away, you know, you can find a way to utilize that and help others get outside or know somebody personally who's starting out and might need a sleeping bag or a backpack and you happen to have an extra, you know, donate to them. All of those are charitable in, you know, at least internally. And then, you know, participation in, in civic or outdoor clubs can be a way to give back as well. Because a lot of times these outdoor clubs, whether it's, you know, Trout Unlimited or Pheasants Forever or Ducks Unlimited or the, you know, the Sheep Foundation, they'll get out and do things to improve habitat, to, to clean streams or to clean roadways. And, and that's a way to really give back and, and help protect and preserve a lot of the things that you like to enjoy as an outdoors person. So it's not just about money. There are a lot of other ways to give, but certainly, you know, being methodical and setting money aside over time to make that once a year donation is a great way to do that. Because one thing we all have in varying degrees is regular cash flow. We don't all have huge chunks of capital that we can choose to do whatever we want with whenever we want. But most of us have an income or regular cash flow that we can set little bits aside for different things and charitable pursuits is no different. And I think um, probably in the context of some of the like bigger fundraisers that you know people put together GoFundMe pages all the time, I think that the, the idea that if 
I hear a lot of people that are like, I can't donate a lot of money, so I don't donate at all. But when you put together, you know, thousands of people donating a couple of dollars, that really adds up, which I think is also kind of the same thing with that conversation we had about saving, right? Like saving 50 cents here and there eventually turns into hundreds of dollars. It takes time, but it still is worth it. It, it you know, those, those little dollars here and there really do add up. And the same goes for, for making donations. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you've ever spent any time outdoors or done any backpacking, there's a, there's an adage that ounces equal pounds, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And the same holds true on the financial side of things, pennies equal dollars over time. And so to, to mind those and to be conscious of, of saving even little bits on that continuum of, of ability and means, um, even saving little bits can add up over time and, and give people opportunities and, and uh, resources they might not otherwise have had. Yeah, and, and something that, again, you kind of touched on this earlier is, you know, you don't need a lot to get started with outdoor recreation. You really just need a pair of shoes right? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to go outside and protect your feet. And that's about it. Maybe a jacket, but those yeah. things, you know, if, if you, if somebody is, if somebody really has aspirations and would like to get started being outdoors, going hiking, doing whatever, you know, go for a walk in the park, how, whatever that looks like for people. I think, I think the really important message here is that you, you don't need a lot of things. We've talked we've covered a lot of like big picture things and, and sort of long-term goals versus short-term goals. But I think the, the, it comes down to if that's a priority for you, you don't need a lot of things. You can you can yep. do it pretty much with the things that you already have. Yep. Purpose, priority, and discipline being three major themes. Develop relationships, develop skills. Um, you know, be patient and accumulate over time. These are all main kind of themes of of what we've talked about today. And it's not uh, go on one big shopping strip uh, trip to to whatever retailer or outlet you can think of and and buy everything you need. It's be conscious about it and and do this over time. But get out and start and figure out what you love and what you want to do and what you need so that you know exactly what that accumulation looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really, I think people will find this, I hope people will find this interesting and informational and be able to take something away from this. Well, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate the time. I've had a lot of fun talking to you, Martha, and and, uh, I'm, you know, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do it again or see each other on the trail someday. Absolutely. That's all for today's show. Thank you to my guest, Mike Branham, and thank you to our producer, Eric Bork. From all the hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thank you for listening, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, The Man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. 
Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.